You're listening to the Huddle Up Podcast with Chad Jensen and Zach Kelberman. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com and sound off. And now it's time to drop some knowledge. Welcome in, everybody, to the Huddle Up Podcast presented, as always, by Mile High Huddle and 24-7 Sports. I'm your host, Chad Jensen. With me, as always, my partner in crime. You know him. You love him. As your Denver Broncos reporter for 24-7 Sports, he is Zach Kelberman. Zach, it's just coming through the wire. Beep, 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 beep. Chad Kelly, it's looking like he's got a new NFL home. Yeah, I think his second chance is going to come in Indy this year where the Colts are expected reportedly to sign Chad Kelly. That's the first interest that I've seen in him, Chad, since he's uh, been released by the Broncos. And honestly, if he gets a second chance, it wouldn't be a great landing spot there behind Luck and Brissett. But I want to see him kind of uh, stick with football. I've always liked him. I always rooted for him. And he made a dumb mistake, but he's hopefully learned from it. And um, he's working his way back in the NFL. So it's encouraging to see. Million dollar arm, nickel head. If that, I mean, he's such a talented quarterback, you know, his arm talent is just great. And I loved uh, in his time at at Ole Miss and with the Broncos, I loved his kind of moxie and his competitive drive and the way he could rally the troops. But the dude just can't character at, at bottom. You know, you drill all the way down and really it all comes down to character. And Chad Kelly just lacks it. You know, it's unfortunate Broncos moved on. They've got about 23 quarterbacks now on the roster, <laughs> and uh, yeah. we're going to talk about that. But, yeah, Chad Kelly, he's he's got himself a new landing spot, and we're going to go through and, and react and break down the final day of the draft and just kind of our overall takeaways of the draft. We're going to talk about the college free agents the Broncos signed immediately following the draft. But first, just make sure you're following the show on Twitter, at HuddleUpPod. Best way to keep your finger on the pulse of what's happening with the podcast in real time. Leave your creative review. Give us that five-star rating on iTunes. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every 
every last one of them. Keep up with all the transfers in college basketball and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hoopin' with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Zach, so let's talk about day three. Now, we jumped on, we kind of hashed out between all the different podcasts that have dropped since, uh, let's just say, Thursday evening. We've covered everything up until the beginning of round four, in which the Broncos, of course, did not have a pick. They packaged that to move up to grab Drew Locke in round two. But heading on into the day, they held three picks on, on day three. They ended up dealing one of their two fifth-round picks to the San Francisco 49ers. And I want to talk about this first. To acquire edge rusher and special teams ace Dakota Watson. Now, most fans can remember that Watson was with the Broncos in a previous stint back in 2016. He arrived, he contributed on defense a little bit. Mostly he was a special teams ace for Gary Kubiak. And then he hit the bricks and signed a relatively lucrative contract for a backup with the San Francisco 49ers. But the Broncos gave up a fifth round pick. And I have obviously my uh, analysis on this, but what was your takeaway from that and your reaction? When I saw it, I thought it was kind of super random that they would bring him back after two coaching regimes, you know, and I thought they would maybe want to look at their own players or draft a, a outside linebacker or a depth for a special teams ace. But there's someone in that Broncos front office who's been there a while who's a big Dakota Watson fan. Maybe that's Elway. Maybe that's a scout. But they obviously think he can help them in multiple areas. And. Um, that he's a good body to have there. I, I personally like the, where the Broncos went in the draft to solve those those positions of need. Uh, but Watson's always been a good player, and uh, he should be good depth at the very minimum. I just don't know how a journeyman backup edge rusher slash special teams guy in what world is worth a fifth-round pick, especially going into a contract year. I mean, give up, give up a seventh-round pick. Okay, I know they got a sixth round along with it. You know, so it's not that much skin off their teeth. They basically are dropping back around and and losing a little bit of time in that value as well, going from a 2019 fifth-round pick, giving that up to acquire Dakota Watson and a 2026-round pick. I know the value's not too far off, but I just didn't see... I mean, it would make more sense to me, Zach, if he was, you know, still had a couple of years left on a deal or something, but... I just can't imagine how much of a true impact he's going to be able to make. Now, if I try and put on my rose-colored glasses and analyze this with the most optimism possible, and again, it's not that Watson's a bad player. He's not. He's just a high-quality depth backup, third-phase guy. But if I'm viewing this with the most optimism, Zach, it's that he's he's very versatile. You can put him on the edge. He's even got a lot of experience from earlier in his career playing off the ball. So... Maybe that's what the Broncos are thinking this time is, you know, they weren't able to get that off-ball linebacker in the draft. We'll see what happens with Hollins. We'll talk about him here in just a minute. And so maybe they're thinking Watson can play some off-ball for him this time around. Yeah, they gave up a lot for him, and that's why I said I think he has a big fan somewhere in the Broncos' front office or the scouting department. And versatility is the name of the Broncos' game, it seems, in this draft class. With Dalton Reisner, he can play all over the line. Uh, Hollins is going to play inside and outside. So they like versatile players. And apparently maybe Fangio combed over his film. Uh, Maybe he got a recommendation, but they needed to fill that spot. And uh, to me, like I said, it's just super random. A guy who was uh, with the Broncos three years ago, Chad. I mean, bring back Corey Nelson too while we're at it. (laughs) No doubt. Well, and it also just shows that connection that Elway continues to have with John Lynch over there in the front office in San Francisco, which is why we were kind of spitballing and speculating and why you even asked the question to John Lynch yourself about a possible trade moving up from from pick 10 to pick 2. But, of course, that did not happen, and uh, here we are. So – 
I mean, ultimately, we'll get into these other two picks, but I was very unimpressed with Denver's day three maneuverings. I like mm-hmm. Justin Hollins is like the only thing that really saves it for me. I mean, he was the he was the pick they made, ended up making in the fifth round. Vic Fangio talked about him, you know, having some visions for Hollins being able to play off the ball or the edge. They're going to try him at both places, see where he fits, see what makes most sense for the Broncos. But he's definitely an intriguing player. We've talked about him on the podcast before. You liked him a lot. I like yep. the guy that played on the other side of the line from him, Jalen Jelks. But Hollins is here, and he's a really good player. I think you probably could have got him in the sixth round, but you got him in the fifth, and he could end up being one of those type of gems that Elway has a history of finding later in the draft, like a Malik Jackson, like a Danny Trevathan, a Matt Paradis, these type of players who are taken almost like a flyer with a, without a second thought type thing that go on down the road. It usually takes a few years, but they end up paying dividends. It wouldn't surprise me if Hollins is one of those guys. But then, Zach, they trade away their seventh-round pick and move up to reach. And that's what really, I hated that because it yeah. just smacks of the old Elway, right? It smacks of the things we've seen Elway do in the past, especially in the premium rounds. So, you know, at least we can say it didn't happen until late in the draft. But I'm telling you, Juwan Winfrey, he's a solid receiver, but he probably would have gone undrafted, Zach. I mean, the Broncos had a really high grade on him, I think, comparatively around the league. Not too many teams were as high on him as the Denver Broncos, and they could have got him, I think, after the draft. Meanwhile, you had guys like Emmanuel Hall, who is Drew Locke's number one receiver, there on the board. And he ended up plummeting. And the Broncos did try to sign Hall for what it's worth. But he ended up uh, choosing to go and play with the Chicago Bears. And I don't blame him, even though Locke's ended up in Denver, Zach. Because the depth chart in Denver, I mean, it's a log jam, dude. It is. And in terms of the Hollins pick, that has Fangio's fingerprints all over it, Chad. I, I like it a lot. I-, I agree with you, though, that the day three was very underwhelming for me. And if there was a bad day of an overall great draft class, it was definitely Saturday. Hollins, to me, is more of a, of a pass rusher than an inside linebacker. He's more of a, of a Shane Ray replacement than a guy who's going to be pushing Todd Davis to start. So at outside linebacker, that's a great pick there. I thought they could have went another position, uh, maybe got him a little later, but he is a good player. But the Winfrey selection, I mean, you had even Penny Hart on the board. You had other good, talented receivers, and you trade up and you use your last two draft picks for a guy who's always said there was getting some interest and they wanted to secure him. But still, I mean, it wasn't even that big of a need, Chad. It wasn't an immediate need. This is not a burner type. This is not a guy who's going to replace right. Emmanuel Sanders. This is a, a, a premium slot guy at the most. So I don't get that selection at all. And this actually reminded me of last year when I loved the draft up until the sixth and seventh rounds with Bearia and David Williams. Mm. And up until that point, it was great. It's the same thing this year. I just don't understand why Elway would want to uh, end on that note. I don't agree with it. Right. But I will say this, as, as unimpressed as I was with day three for Elway and Matt Russell and company, it's not enough to take away from the absolute killing they made no. rounds one through three. So That's what matters. And, and it is. You got to hit on those picks. And the Broncos were fortunate a little bit as well to have certain guys fall to them and have other teams make such bizarre decisions at the end of round one. And not so much the top of round two, but the end of round one really just threw the board off and allowed guys like Dalton Reisner to slip. Drew Locke continued to plummet, and Elway, of course, packaged that deal to move up from 52 to 42 to grab him. And, you know, that's just fortune smiling on, on John Elway. That's the football gods lifting their skirt and smiling down on John Elway and the Broncos because, 
I mean, you in no in most football worlds, like we talked about on the previous podcast, most football universe, Daniel Jones does not go in uh, pick six while Drew Locke goes at pick forty two, and it's definitely a sign and and a shot across Locke's bow. I hope he takes it seriously in terms of. I know he's an uber-competitive guy. He gets pissed off if he loses a freaking ping-pong game, kind of like his boss, John Elway. But he needs to humbly acknowledge that, look, there was a reason I fell. My footwork is atrocious at times. I need to, you know, unify my feet with my with my upper torso and my arm and my eyes. And hopefully, you know, he'll get the time to do that under the wing of a guy like Rich Gangarello. But at bottom, Zach, again, not enough. That day three, we'll see what happens. I'll be surprised if Winfrey even makes the 53, right? But... Day th- one and two, they were so good that I still have to give this this draft an A. Yeah, regardless of how day three turned out, obviously you and I would like the Broncos to go in a different direction. But getting Fan at 20, Reisner 41, and Lock at 42, whatever happened Saturday was immaterial. The Broncos killed the draft. It was an A, uh, another home run for John Elway. So to get those premium players and to set yourself up for the short term and long term, um, it's, it, didn't, it didn't matter. What happened Saturday? Those were just extra picks. I feel like Elway kind of just said, I got the guys I wanted. I already won. I'm going to go take a chance now. I want win free, whatever. I have nothing to lose now. That's what, that's the impression I honestly get. Sounds like to me like maybe, you know, day one was Thursday evening, Friday night, day two, he hits the bar to celebrate how freaking lucky. <laughs> Saturday wakes up in a haze. He's like, crap, where am I? And, uh, you know, the rest is history. Of course, I'm joking, but it was like, I think you're right. You kind of hit it there, kind of like resting on his laurels a little bit, right? From yeah. just crushing day one and two. He's like, let's roll the dice on a couple of guys that, you know, will fill a need with Watson kind of, I guess. I mean, I'm not sure exactly what need Watson fills because you have now with, with the Hollands pick and with Holland, you have two depth rushers behind Von Miller and Bradley Chubb. I guess maybe if you went into this really projecting Watson to play off the ball, you're filling a need. But special teams, they have bodies, dude. They have guys who can run down and chase the ball. They have gunners. So I'm not sure. I mean, he's a great leader, and that's one thing that we'll take every day and twice on Sunday. got to love leadership and intangibles, and that's something, at least, Zach, that that Dakota Watson has in, in spades. But what did you make of Dave Gettleman, the GM of the Giants, claiming when he took some criticism for taking Daniel Jones at pick six when he probably could have got him at pick 17 – his rationale publicly is that, well, the Broncos would have taken Jones at 10. If I wouldn't have taken him at pick six, John Elway was taking Daniel Jones at six. What was your thoughts on that? I honestly think that Elway played Gettleman by leaking the interest in Daniel Jones to that extent, and that made them take Jones at six and drop Drew Locke down the board. I mean, the draft season is all about misinformation, deception, and fake news, and Elway's a veteran, and, and Gettleman has shown he's not the greatest GM in the world, and I think Elway played that pretty smart. I mean, there's no no defending, in my book, taking Daniel Jones in a top-ten pick. As much as you like him, as much as the film stands out to you, you could have got him at 17. So he, they can blame the Broncos all they want. That was a pretty, pretty, pretty uh, high reach for a quarterback. Like. And I concur. I think Elway played him and it's kind of crazy because Gettleman if you want to talk about you know football guys so to speak or personnel guys with deep roots I mean Elway of course Hall of Fame player if you want to talk about football guy guy he's a football guy but Gettleman's been a personnel guy a long time you know he's he's been in a cup GM position at a couple different landing spots in the National Football League so to see him get played like a fiddle by John Elway and it worked that's what's so beautiful about it Zach is that 
Drew Locke fell, and Elway was able to get him in the freaking second round, and it's killing him a, a couple, maybe more than two birds with one stone because it's not only giving Locke the time to develop, but I think it's kind of countering some of his, I, want, I don't want to call it arrogance, maybe some of his conceit of where he has where he was as a player for your starter being told to his face by John Elway you're going to be a top 10 pick while he's at the senior bowl you know so he's on cloud nine and then he drops all the way to the second round a little dose of humble pie I think it can help a guy like Drew Locke because he really needs to focus on developing and and smoothing out the rough edges on his on his technique especially and that's why landing in Denver there's a reason why he was so happy to come to Denver. It really is one of the best spots for him to land, not only because there's not any pressure on him to start out of the gates because of Flacco, but because he gets to work with Rich Scangarello, T.C. McCartney. And you could tell from some of the comments that Locke has made since the draft, some of the images and videos that have been published by the Denver Broncos on denverbroncos.com as Locke is hitting Dove Valley you know, on, on a Saturday afternoon. You can tell that there was a connection forged between Locke and Rich Scangarello, and I'm really excited to see how that unfolds. Yeah, it's uh, there was also a connection with Elway. You can see that they had good chemistry, and Elway's face said it the best to me in his post-draft press conference, Chad. He knew he got his guys. He knew he won day two, and he knew the rest of the draft was a wrap. And getting Locke, he was always his guy, and he wasn't going to take him at 10. He wasn't going to trade back up in the first round. But letting the board play out, I mean, the stars couldn't have aligned any better for John Elway and for Drew Locke. And he made that comment that he has a Pringles can, a king-size Pringles can on his shoulder. That's great for the Broncos. They need that alpha personality back in that room. Joe Flacco, he's more of a, a quieter type. I mean, he's not that fiery, that swag type that Drew Locke can be. Right. So it's a good counterbalance, and that's only going to help him. And if he can sit, and, and Elway mentioned having a Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers— I mean, you talk about having an Aaron Rodgers on the bench, sitting there, learning, developing, getting seasoned, uh, being motivated. It can only help Denver going forward. So it's absolutely a win-win for both parties. One thing I like, too, is what Dalton Reisner had to say at the podium when he was introduced on Saturday. And he's not a guy who strikes me, anyway, as being a dissembler. You know, he's not going to put lipstick on the pig. He's going to either tell you how it is, or he's going to you know, ignore the question type thing. And when he was asked about Drew Locke, he referred back to his time playing with Locke at the Senior Bowl and talked about how he commands a huddle, how he can rally guys, how guys respect him. And I think that that's going to pay dividends for Locke in Denver. Like, for example, you rewind the tape a little bit and Paxton Lynch hits the Broncos locker room. He had zero friends. Like, he was there three full (laughs) training camps. He was not able to make a single homeboy in the Broncos locker room. No one respected him. He wasn't able, he didn't know how to connect with people. He wasn't a communicator. He wasn't a leader. And I don't think Drew Locke's going to have that problem. He's going to come to Denver and he's going to settle in as a second round pick. <clears throat> Again, the expectations are different. And I think he's just a he's a likable guy. Now, of course, this really sucks, but you had to hit that flight, Zach, on your way. Uh, when we were at the at the uh, combine, you had to leave a little bit earlier than me. So you were you didn't quite ma- make the uh interpersonal stuff with Locke, but he's just a likable dude. Like if you're standing next to him, you're talking to him, he's just, it's hard not to just go, okay, this guy's solid. And that's going to pay off in the, in the locker room so that when his time comes eventually, who knows, we'll see where that ends up being down the road. I think he's going to be starting a lot further on down the road than a Paxton Lynch. Who's not, couldn't even say he was starting at, at square one. He's starting at like square negative three or four 
which is one of the reasons why you know he hurts his his ankle in that Raiders game, and he ends up on the bench crying. And <laughs> I mean, he was just a mess. And I think, in so many ways, so many ways, Drew Locke is the antithesis of that. He is. I mean, everything said about him is that he's easygoing, he's likable. I mean, he has an infectious personality. People are drawn to him. You can't teach that. Same reason why people love Baker Mayfield. Uh, Drew Locke killed his interviews at the Combine. He he aced all of his pre-draft uh, visits. Elway fell in love with him at the Senior Bowl, and it continued on over the course of several months. It's it's a perfect landing spot for him, and uh, it's it's the Broncos finally have hope, and that's what I like. Regardless of how it turns out, regardless of how you feel about Flacco or Locke as the prospect, they have hope under center for the long term, and that to me is encouraging. Yep, absolutely. We still have a lot to get to. We're going to go through the college free agents the Denver Broncos signed immediately following the draft. But first, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Hey, guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Zach. So let's talk about the undrafted free agents the Broncos signed immediately following the draft. And it's important to note, of course, that John Elway has a prolific record of finding not just impact quality, you know, contributors in the undrafted ranks, but pro bowlers. He is the only GM since 2011 to sign three undrafted rookies who would go on to make the pro bowl. And of course, that's Chris Harris, that's CJ Anderson, and Philip Lindsay. So when you look, when we go through this list of names, now granted at this point, many of them, I'd be lying to you if I were to tell you I knew everything there is to know about these these players the Broncos signed. I know enough to, to talk about most of it. But I'd be, you know, we don't know exactly what quality of players these are going to turn out to be for the Denver Broncos, but we do know that as an organization, Zach, these players are going to be given probably one of the best opportunities amongst the 32 NFL teams to earn a job and fight and, and, you know, make it to a 53-man roster. So let me run through these real quick. This is what we know as far as the signings as of the recording of this podcast. The first one, which made all the waves, you had an article on it, Brett Rippon, quarterback, Mm -hmm. Boise State. Now, he, it surprised me a little bit, not completely, that he tumbled all the way out of the draft. What were your thoughts on him going all the way? Him and Tyree Jackson, for what it's worth, tumbled out of the draft. But your thoughts on the Broncos grabbing Brett Rippon, and then we'll go through the rest of these. I was more surprised that he fell out of the draft than Jackson. I thought he'd be a fifth or sixth round pick. So to get him as an undrafted free agent is good value. But how many different quarterbacks do you need? I mean, they have five on the roster right now. Yeah. I would assume this spells the end for Kevin Hogan and definitely Garrett Grayson. And definitely that quarterback room, though, Chad, that's intriguing now. Joe Flacco, Drew Locke, and Brett Rippon. Would you have taken that before the draft? All day long. I would have, all day long. So, um, again, Elway's always lucky out with those undrafted free agents, and it's going to make some controversy. It's going to draw some headlines. Another backup quarterback uh, position battle, but yeah. uh, I like to pick up a lot. I was a big fan of his in the pre-draft process. Yeah, one of these quarterbacks will not even make it to training camp, unfortunately, and I think it's probably going to be Garrett Grayson, the former Colorado State guy. You're going to see Flacco, Locke, you're going to see Kevin Hogan and Brett Rippon. All you need are four arms in camp. You need no more than four arms. So I think this 
at least in the immediate future, Zach spells certain doom for Garrett Grayson, and then it's going to come down to Ripon trying to unseat Kevin Hogan. And I agree with you that it probably spells doom for Hogan as well. But Brett Ripon, he's an interesting quarterback. He's very cerebral. He's maybe a less uh, talented Jake Plummer, very similar, maybe not quite as athletic outside the pocket, but a lot of similarities there. Played at altitude, kind of bo- at Boise State. And he's got a pedigree. You know, he's got a lineage. His uncle, Mark Rippon, of course, is a two-time Super Bowl champion and a Super Bowl MVP. So he's he's an interesting player that, at worst, Zach, I look at this pickup as the type of thing that, you know, he comes in and gets groomed again by the great developer that is Rich Scangarello. And a year or two down the road, maybe the Broncos are able to flip him for some real draft capital. Rippon, to me, is a, a high-end version of Trevor Simeon. And if the Broncos can get a high-end backup, a number two for the long term, as an undrafted free agent, that's a major win right there. I, I think they'll only keep two quarterbacks all in the 53 in the regular season. That's going to be Flacco and Locke. Uh, so either Rippon's going to be on the practice squad or release. I don't think, though, keeping Hogan offers any sort of long-term upside rather than keeping Locke and Rippon on the roster. So I would imagine that Hogan and Grayson are gone. And there's going to be a competition in camp for uh, Rippon to push for that. If they keep three, it, it, it would be him. Yeah, definitely don't disagree there. The other uh, college free agents the Broncos have signed up to this point include the following. George Aston, the fullback from Pittsburgh. Austin Fort, tight end, Wyoming. Kelvin McKnight, wide receiver, Samford. Trinity Benson, another wide receiver, East Central, from what I'm told is a, is a speed demon. Brian Wallace, offensive lineman from Arkansas. John Leglu, offensive lineman from Tulane. Ahmad Gooden, defensive line, Samford. Jalen Johnson, defensive line, Washington. Joe Deneen, linebacker, Kansas. Josh Watson, linebacker, Colorado State, altitude guy. Malik Reed, linebacker, Nevada. Elijah Holder, cornerback, Stanford. Now, among this, the rest of these names, Zach, what really jump out to me is the name Joe Deneen, who is a freaking tackling machine at Kansas. And maybe this is, if I'm looking at this right now, no, I know Rippon's the sexy name here because he's the quarterback that everyone expected to get drafted. And so the Broncos, you know, fortunate once again. But Joe Deneen, to me, and Malik Reed, Zach, are the yeah. two names that jump out as the ones to watch in terms of highest potential to make the Broncos 53-man roster. 100% agree. Uh, Deneen actually has a chance. He's a, a natural off-ball linebacker. He's not a dynamic player, so he can compete there. He can push for reps there. And Malik Reed is my favorite undrafted pickup from this hall. This guy, if you watch his tape chat, I hadn't seen too much of him. I put on some tape of his yesterday. He explodes off the edge. I mean, he's a violent edge rusher, good bend, good speed to power. Um, it's Broncos suddenly have competition now at edge rusher. With Holland, Hollins, Dakota Watson. Now you have Malik Reed. This is only going to make this Broncos defense better. And it seemed like Elway ceded a lot of power to his coaching staff. And Fangio had his fingerprints all over these undrafted free agents. They're mostly defenders. So uh, getting Malik Reed, that's my favorite pickup. I think he'll make the 53 and he'll actually get some sacks this season. Yeah, absolutely. And you can look, I mean, as, as you go through this list, and there's an article, if you guys want to check it out on the website, milehighhuddle.com, that lists these names here with some analysis. But if you look at the names and the positions these players play, the Broncos tried to sign some depth pieces here, you know, hedge against whatever they were unable to fully address in the draft. They tried to hedge 
against whatever weakness they might have coming out with these college free agent signings. So we'll see how it shakes out. Look forward to some more in-depth analysis on each one of these guys coming from us. I know Eric Trickle's working on an article to let our VIP subscribers and our great readers in on exactly which or what these guys bring to the table for the Denver Broncos. So look forward to that. But Zach, the one thing to keep in mind too, and I, as I was researching this article that I wrote on uh, Saturday evening, this jumped out to me. And that is that now the 2018 numbers are not known as far as I've been able to research, but in 2017 alone, there were more undrafted rookies or former undrafted rookies playing 40% of their team snaps in the NFL than first round picks. Okay. Mm. So, so think about that. If you're an undrafted rookie, I mean, that's, and then you look at the Denver Broncos history and record of having, I think in the last 14 years, 15 years, whatever it is now, only one year did they not have an undrafted rookie make the 53-man roster. If your name didn't get called on draft day and the phone rings and it's Denver, that's my first place that I want to land because I know I'm going to be given a a, a true opportunity to earn a spot as opposed to just being a camp fodder, you know? Nobody kills the eighth round better than John Elway. It's just fact. It's just historically that's been the case. And actually Malik Reed, he was going to sign with the Jets, Chad. He had an offer, but he pulled that and signed with the Broncos. Why? Because they're the best team to sign with. They know the history there. They know Chris Harris Jr., CJ Anderson. Uh, so Philip Lindsay, obviously, last year. It's it's encouraging. And then Elway, that's why we knew he was going to kill the eighth round. But to have those first and second round shake out, I mean, it's just it's super optimistic right now for me. Yep. I think overall, I mean, just looking at this complete body of work coming out of the draft or draft weekend from the picks to the college free agent signings, I mean, there's a couple of disappointments, which we've already addressed. But overall, I still have to give this as a complete body of work an A grade, Zach, because the Broncos, not only did they get some immediate impact players, but they also hedged for the future with guys like Drew Locke. I, I'm so excited to see what Dalton Reisner can bring, not just as an individual, but his leadership. A guy like him has the ability and potential to elevate an entire offensive line because he's that his intangibles are that off the charts. And then you throw in the, the factor of Mike Munchak, Chris Cooper. I'm really looking forward to seeing how this offensive line shapes up. And a lot of it will be determined by the health and availability, of course, of Ronald Leary, who's coming off that Achilles injury. But worst case scenario, Zach, I I see the offensive line shaking out like this. This is worst case. Garrett Bowles, Sam Jones, left guard, Connor McGovern, center, Dalton Reisner, right guard, and Jawan James at right tackle, which if you look at where the Broncos were before the injury started decimating them halfway through last season – even with the loss of Matt Paradis, I think that's a massive upgrade. I mean, I've said it on Twitter a few times, and I'll say it again. It's a top 10 offensive line if they stay healthy. It's a big if, of course, but between Mike Munchak and the, the talent they have there, Chad, and the resources they've dumped into the O-line, it's a top 10 O-line. But in terms of the draft class as a whole, I don't know that you look at this without giving it an A. And what you also have to consider, they picked up a 2020 third-round draft pick on top of everything else. Good point. And also didn't draft a corner, so maybe you add even Chris Harris Jr. to that hall. Yeah. When you look at it like that, you keep all those pieces in place. You get a potential future of your franchise or quarterback, instant day one starters, long-term sustainability. It's it's impossible to dislike this draft hall, Chad. It's impossible to deny that Elway has turned a corner as a GM and he's actually a pretty damn good drafter now. Yeah, I can't disagree. And 
since you brought him up, let's talk about it real quick before we get out of here. Chris Harris Jr., of course, John Elway claimed that he did not get any additional phone calls with regard to interest on the trading block for Chris Harris, and his tonality really softened post-draft. Like, I guess he's a man of his word, right? He said, look, I'll, ta- I'll address that after the draft, blah, blah, blah. He threw in that little disclaimer, but that doesn't mean that anything's going to happen, that whole thing which is caught what caused the you-know-what storm to take place. But here's what he said over the weekend, quote, no, I did not hear from anybody about Chris today regarding trades. And as I said the last three times, when the draft is over, I'll be glad to talk to Chris and see what we can do, close quote, which is a significant softening, Zach, of his kind of militant stance early on last week. Well, so much of that on both sides, Chad, was posturing. So much of it was negotiating through the press, and it's just the standard way business goes about in the NFL. I think a lot of Elway, his alleviation stemmed from the draft class. I think he nailed it, so he was a little bit uh, optimistic or lighter in that press conference. I just saw it on his face, and he wants to get something done with Chris Harris Jr. Maybe uh, his agent lowered his demand. Maybe they made some progress. We don't know just yet, but the fact that they didn't take a corner in the draft— says they're either really comfortable with the corners they have now or they're hopeful to get something done with Chris Harris Jr. I can only hope it's the latter. Yeah, and I think a deal will get done. The question now is how much wiggle room will Chris Harris really give him because the only fly in the ointment I could see is if he literally sticks to his guns on that $15 million number because even though I'll be the first one to say you know he's, he's worth it, I can see how Elway would have a hard time biting that type of a bullet when he's also paying a $25 million a year max contract to Vaughn Miller. So if Harris can come to the table and say, look, I want to be compensated for my contributions and also what I bring to the table for the next three years, and I'm willing to take, you know, if you if you make the guaranteed money and the signing bonus fat enough, I'm willing to take, you know, 13 or 13.5 to stick around. Yeah, and also it's, it's worth keeping in mind that the Broncos dropped, it, dropped down from 10 to 20. So they're going to pay a little less for that first-round draft pick, and any every penny towards this counts for the Broncos. They don't have a lot of cap space, and his next contract will be big. I don't think he'll get 15. I think, like you said, 13, maybe 13-5 at the most is likely, and that's a fair deal, and that's fair for both sides after the Broncos invested so much money in Callahan and Kareem Jackson, and uh, he, deserves, he deserves to get paid. And I thought he'd get traded during this draft. I'm not going to lie. And the fact that he had a soft tone, as you said, and they, they didn't make a trade, I think it's hopeful now. So keep your chins up, Broncos country. You just had a phenomenal, phenomenal draft, and it's looking like things are looking up anyway for Chris Harris returning or sticking it, I should say, with the Denver Broncos. But that's going to do it for today's episode of the Huddle Up podcast. We are putting out a thread today. We're recording this Sunday. So look for this. Uh, for Tuesday's episode, we're going to do a VIP mailback because we weren't able to do it on this last. The way the draft shook out and the timing and everything, we just weren't able to get to it. But I put a thread in the MHH Insiders Forum. So VIPs, whatever questions are on your mind coming out of the draft, Go there, leave your questions, and Zach and I will address them on tomorrow's show. We'll see what else comes out on Monday as far as the news and and things that take place, and I'm sure we'll want to talk about that too. But in the meantime, make sure you are following the show on Twitter, at HuddleUpPod. Don't forget to leave your creative review and rate us on iTunes. You can find my partner, Zach Kelberman, on Twitter, at Kelberman247, myself, at Chad and Jensen. 
Chin up. I hope you guys are celebrating. I hope you had a great weekend because your Denver Broncos just crushed the draft. And all we can do is, based on the free agent moves and the coaching additions as well, is hope that this is all great harbinger of what's to come for the Broncos in 2019 and beyond. For Zach Kelberman, I'm Chad Jensen. We'll talk to you soon. You've been listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going.